Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Last month, eight people, including a child, were killed in a mass shooting at a Texas shopping mall. It becomes one of over 200 mass shootings the US has seen this year alone. Inevitably, when something like this happens, the argument for gun control is its head again. But nothing, not even the dead bodies of hundreds of children, has been enough to convince the people in charge to do something meaningful. This week, Keith is taking us through the history of guns in the US and how things got to be the way they are. Thank you for your time, Keith. Australians look on in horror at what goes on in the States. And I know, at least for me, every time I say, well, why don't they just bring in proper gun control? Why is it so hard for the US to act on this? Well, the key factor is what's called the Second Amendment. And so you get people referring to the Second Amendment. I thought it would be useful for us to look at what is the Second Amendment Mm. and how it has been so influential, particularly in recent years. So the current American Constitution was written over 200 years ago. It's a brilliant document. The first one fell apart. The first one created a confederation of the United States. This was to fight off the British during the American War of Independence. So that was finished in 1783. And after the British were driven out, newly independent American colonies came together under this notion of a confederation. And it didn't work very well because it was not really unified. And, of course, the colonies, as they had developed, developed separately and they reported separately back to London. So the first American constitution failed. And then in 1787, we get what's called the miracle in Philadelphia, where in the summer months of 1787, if you've been in Philadelphia during the summer, you'd know why they wrote the document so quickly, because the heat is appalling in (laughs) Philadelphia during the summer. But the miracle of Philadelphia resulted in basically the document which was still got today, Mm -hmm. the American Constitution, which is a remarkable document, a great achievement. But it was a document that had moved from being a confederation to representing more centralised control over the new American nation. So there were some people who were a little uneasy. They've just got rid of this dictator, King George III, and yet they're going to install one in Washington, D.C. So it was decided to amend the American Constitution. And the first 10 amendments, which came around 1791, become what's called the Bill of Rights. The first amendment, for example, relates to freedom of speech, which is being referred to so often. The second amendment, which we need to look at, is the one dealing with the right to bear arms. Mm. So the document listing these 10 first amendments represent the Bill of Rights. And I have to emphasise, because surveys show that Australians think we've got a Bill of Rights. We do not have a Bill of Rights. We've had various attempts at it at the national level. At the state and territory level, there are some attempts at creating a Bill of Rights, but we have nothing as magnificent as the Bill of Rights that you find in the United States. The Australians think they've got a Bill of Rights because they would see so many Hollywood movies <laughs> people <laughs> refer to their, their rights it. that it's assumed that a similar situation exists in this country. So you've got these first 10 amendments, they're called the Bill of Rights, 
Overall, there have been 27 amendments to the Constitution. It's actually as difficult to amend the American Constitution as it is the Australian one. So, for example, decades ago, there was a proposal to create the Equal Rights Amendment Act, whereby women will be treated the same as men. Still hasn't won support. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realise that. Yeah. (laughs) So it is difficult to amend the Constitution, and we might see a similar tragedy played out, of course, with the voice to Parliament in this Mm. country. Mm. The Second Amendment, I'll just read out what it actually says. This is the actual document. A well-regulated militia being necessary for the strength of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Mm -hmm. That's not a lot to go on as to what the framers, as they're called, what they actually meant when they wrote that. And my understanding is that at the actual meeting where they negotiated the amendments, there was not much discussion. So it was accepted that you have the right to bear arms, partly because the Americans were concerned that if the British were to come back for another fight, which of course they did in the War of 1812, if you had Americans who were well-armed, it might act as a deterrent Mm -hmm. for anybody to invade America. By the way, that was also part of the reasoning why the Japanese didn't invade Australia. They intimidated Australia. We had the attack just down the road here Mm. on uh, the Cuttable, but they they never anticipated landing an actual army in Australia because they knew how many farmers we've got here with rifles. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So they, they were expecting problems. So the reasoning behind the Second Amendment at first sight actually makes sense. It meant that the Americans never needed to have a large national army because they figured if there were ever an invasion, they've got their own citizens. Mm-hmm. And as recently as 1940, the army of Greece was larger than the army of the United States. Wow. So the Second Amendment worked well. And I might also say that Hollywood gives a very bad impression of the so-called Wild West. I prefer to use the term Old West because it, the Old West wasn't wild. So as you see in the Hollywood movies, cowboys come into town, shooting guns, etc. An ordinary cowboy would not have carried a gun on a daily basis because the cowboy would have been going through rivers, etc., which would have affected the gun. Mm-hmm. Or the gun might accidentally discharge, in which case they'd blow off their own legs. So, Not a good idea. <laughs> not a good idea. So Hollywood has really distorted our view of what the Old West was like. Mm. And there was a lot more gun control in a place like Dodge City, in real life, than what you would see in a Hollywood movie. Mm. There was not a real problem of violence in the United States. And so what is happening now has been two developments with gun control. The first was the development of the National Rifle Association, and that was in 1871. So the American Civil War ended in 1865, and then six years later, the elite on the east coast of the United States, decided to create the National Rifle Association. A British gentleman, remember at this time, Britain was the style setter for the world, Mm. and the Americans looked to Britain to set an example, and they saw in Britain these gun clubs. And so people were learning to shoot, as you still see on the, you know, the grouse you know, for the elite, you go and shoot birds out of the yes. sky, etc. Yeah. The National Rifle Association was set up to improve the marksmanship skills of American citizens and also get them prepared in case they were required to fight a war overseas. 
but also as to promote in America the British sport of elite shooting, complete with healthy cash prices. The same thing that was going on in Britain was then being imitated in the United States. And so the National Rifle Association started as an elite hobby club. Yeah. They weren't talking about the right to bear arms. They were just talking about the right of ordinary individuals mm. to go to shooting competitions, etc. And by the 1920s, rifle shooting was a popular American sport. And you could actually win Olympic gold medals. Right. In fact, here at the University of Sydney, there was amongst the male colleges a game of, of rifles. So in the old days, up until the 1930s, rifles were actually kept in students' bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a worrying thought. Mm. After that time, they were then locked away. And now they're completely abolished. Yeah. So you yeah. no longer have a, a rifle contest at Sydney University. Mm -hmm. But it's all part of this sort of elite, you know, that you would have, you know, the working class to look after you and keep the guns clean, but yes. they'd be your guns. So the National Rifle Association was set up really just to encourage people to take an interest in sport, be ready to play in the Olympics and all that sort of thing. And the people who worked for the NRAs insisted that citizens do have the right to own their own rifles, but they were concerned to distinguish between law-abiding citizens who should have access to guns for hunting and target shooting and protection, and on the other hand, criminals and mental ill people who should not. Mm. So NRA were, were at that time still in the 1930s, still acting responsibly. And they were concerned about the gangsters, the bootleggers, because remember by this time alcohol was now prohibited. So the NRA backed federal legislation to limit concealed weapons, prevent possessions of guns by criminals and the mentally ill and children, to require all dealers to be licensed and to require background checks before delivery. So it was a very hard-line organisation when it came to gun control. Mm. The problem is that the NRA then became much more politically engaged from the 1970s onwards, and they moved away from just encouraging sport towards opposing any form of gun control, and so they then became heavily identified with sort of freedom-loving politicians, mainly on the right. And so they then became a lobbyist to ensure that citizens will be able to own guns. So no one's taking, well, perhaps NRA is a bit concerned about encouraging shooting for competition purposes, but mainly it's now predominantly just this right to bear arms, and they now have a political objective. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Thanks for your company this week as we delve deeper into gun control or lack thereof in the United States. Now, something that I think Australians struggle to understand about the American gun control debate is this obsession with freedom that mm. people in the United States have. Can you explain the obsession that they have with this freedom idea because that's where it comes down to in the Bill of Rights is you have the right to bear arms to protect yourself and that's the argument I hear all the time. Why are they so obsessed with that idea in a modern society? Well, the idea goes back 200 years ago to the creation of the mm. Constitution and then the need, in effect, to amend the Constitution through the Bill of Rights because they don't want to give power to a new King George III 
in Washington, D.C. That's what the Bill of Rights is about. Mm. Having given power to a central government, they then wanted to take it away <laughs> in case it was going to be used and abused. And then it's also a reworking, I think, of American heritage. It's interesting that the conservatives in America have the icon of the American cowboy as the white man standing against the socialism of the federal government. Mm. And so we have in America a very unequal society and governments, some occasionally, try to balance it out a bit, particularly like Roosevelt in the 1930s. And so the conservatives nowadays are opposed to any sort of government regulation of the economy. It's every person for themselves and you've got to maximise your opportunities as an individual. Mm. And so the gun control issue fits into that because the guns are very much part of their identity. It's actually a misreading of history. Remember, John Wayne is not typical of the people who lived in the Old West. Somebody who would carry the guns openly and go around shooting Indians, etc. that was not as common as is implied in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And yet it's the myth that the gun lobby liked to pick up rather than the reality mm. of how guns were used in the United States. But how come they don't... This is citizens, right? I'm referring to just people like you and me going about their lives in the United States. Don't they realise that the right to bear arms was written for that society? It doesn't fit in anymore. Like, this is what I always struggle to understand, how they can't see the difference between 200 years ago and now. That's the risk you run when you write anything into a constitution. Sure. It's actually an argument against having, say, a Bill of Rights enshrined in the constitution. Mm. I'm somebody because of the International Commission of Jurists, we've actually lobbied for a Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. But one of the arguments against the Bill of Rights is that as society changes, it may be that you can't introduce those changes fast enough. And we know that in the United States, because you're right, it's inappropriate for there to be the same interpretation yeah. of the Bill of Rights. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe we'll never see any change. I guess, though, <laughs> when Obama was president, it certainly felt like we might finally see some change in the space, but it didn't happen. Why is it so hard for US presidents to make changes? Well, I think it's because it's part of the DNA, although opinion polls would show that most Americans are in favour of gun control. Mm. There are about 33,000 laws in the United States relating to guns. Wow. So it's not even a standard approach. Mm. You know, in some areas uh, you're allowed to carry the gun openly. In other areas you're not. So it's a concealed weapon. Yeah. And in some states, McDonald's say to customers, leave your guns outside. In other states, they say you're welcome to bring your guns in with you. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. So you've got these 30,000, 33,000 laws and you've got the Constitution. And American politicians have no appetite for trying to amend the Constitution. Mm. You know, from time to time, politicians will make pledges that they'll make proposals for amendments to the Constitution, etc. But they don't carry them out. It's just so difficult. As I say, something as basic as Equal Rights Amendment Act has not been passed in all of the states. It got through the federal Congress, but it hasn't got the enough support at state level. So would it have to then they'd have to change the Constitution to be able to enact really meaningful gun control? Yeah. Like, they have to? They have to, Ugh. and they can't. Yeah, no, you're right. It's too hard. <laughs> it is very hard, and a lot of politicians will say, look, if, say, take a president like Obama, you come to office, you've got four years mm. in your first time as, as president, and it may well be you only get four years, like Donald Trump, 
or you might get eight years, which is Obama, but you really only make progress in your first two years because by the midterm elections, people are beginning to turn against you and your party. Uh, although Biden, of course, minimised the extent of the anti-Democrat swing in the midterm elections. But generally speaking, you've got two years and really get the runs on the board. And so a president would need to ask, well, is it worth my putting so much political capital into trying to get a change to the Constitution mm -hmm. when there are so many other issues on which I might score a quick victory compared with trying to amend the Constitution? A choice between what's right and what's easy, I guess, then. <laughs> um, I want to go back to the NRA before we finish. You mentioned its immense power as a lobby group. Do you see it holding on to that power into the future? Unless it falls apart, mm. and that's always the risk. It's one of the most powerful lobby groups in the United States. It can take on presidents, as it's done in recent decades, and usually beat the presidents. It's a reflection of the limited power of a president. But the problem with an organisation that big, that successful, is that it might start to fall apart and you end up with people with conflicting agendas, etc. Mm -hmm. So there's no guarantee that the National Rifle Association will continue to exist. It's a subject to the same ego differences, policy differences, as you will see in any, any other organisation. But at the moment, it's still managing to hold together. They've had all sorts of recent upheavals within the organisation, but somehow they're all managing to hold together. And, of course, what's interesting is they're reaching out to a whole new younger generation. So you get children being taught how to fire guns. Well, that was going to be my question, was <laughs> are we seeing enough young people come through? We know sometimes, you know, policies are the remnants of older people mm. and we get the young people come through and they want to see a change. But from what you're telling me, it sounds like the NRA is getting in with them at a young age exactly, as well. as well, yeah. So do you ever see meaningful gun control happening in the United States? Not in the foreseeable future. I'm sorry to sound so pessimistic. And I teach young Americans, and they would also, I think, share that view. Mm. And it's part of the DNA. You've got a very strong lobby group. Unless NRA, the National Rifle Association, start to fall apart, in which case, who knows what could be achieved but as long as they remain united, despite some of the recent difficulties, then I think NRA will prevent any form of gun control. Well, it is pessimistic, but I think it sounds like realistic at this point. Keith, thank you for your time today. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nicolich.